Today I'm going to be <clears throat> going to be reading from First Corinthians chapter two, verses two to six to sixteen, which is in page one thousand one hundred forty-five in your Bibles. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden, and that God has, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. However, as it, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no and what no man, no human man has conceived, the the things God has prepared for those who love Him. <clears throat> These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Good to see you. It's great to be here with you、uh, this weekend. I hope you're having a great weekend so far. My name is Jeremy, and if I haven't already met you,、uh, then、uh, it'll be great、uh, if you could stick around for coffee afterwards, and we could、uh, have a cake. And I'd love to introduce myself. It's great to see you. Shall we pray as we begin? Let's pray. Verse twelve: What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Father God, thank you that you're a gift-giving, a generous God, that you long to freely give us your Son, your Spirit, and the truth through your Word. And we pray, Father. That we would receive the things that you want to give us today, and so we would understand your mind, and we ask these things in your name, Amen.、Uh, well, a lot of people are interested in being spiritual nowadays. So, spirituality is、uh, a big thing. All of us, or many of us, want a sort of experience that goes beyond the physical world. If I if I can put it like that, a fifth of people、uh, out there in Islington. Say that they are spiritual but not religious. That's the phrase they use. One out of five people that you catch the bus with in the morning, that you walk past on Upper Street, say that they are spiritual but not religious. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And it explains the popularity of books like this. I, I got this book the other day, Spirituality for Dummies. It's a great, great introduction, and it comes with a, a CD of of chanting. 
at the back that you can that you can put on. It's about 350 pages long. And here on page one of Spirituality for Dummies, it has a definition of spirituality. This is what it says. Um, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to wait to be spiritual. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because you and I are busy people. You don't have to wait to be spiritual. Spirituality is a shift in awareness that can happen in a moment. Spirituality is a shift to the wisdom of the heart. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Spirituality is a shift to the wisdom of the heart from spirituality for dummies. Because wisdom and spirituality are right at the heart of the book of Corinthians, and particularly this part of 1 Corinthians we're going to be looking at this afternoon that Mark just read out to us. Have a look at that. Wisdom and spirituality. So chapter 2, verse 6 on page 1145. It would be a massive help to me if you could refer to that. Page 1145. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, we do, have, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. It's about wisdom. Or, or verse 7, no, we declare God's wisdom. Um, or verse 13, you see halfway through, not in words taught us by human wisdom. Or if you go down to verse 15, uh, the person with the spirit, literally the spiritual person. Spiritual wisdom. Because all of us are interested in spirituality and, and spiritual wisdom. And that was definitely true in Corinth, the, writer, the um, city that Paul's writing to in about 53 AD, just 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, just 20 years in recent memory. And a church has been established in the city of Corinth, and Paul is writing to them. It's a spiritual place. And that's why as Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians, all about the surprising and the humbling mes message of Jesus Christ crucified, he has to address the issue of spirituality. And if chapter 1 is about how the cross unites the Christian church, then chapter 2 is about how the cross teaches us to be spiritual people, what it's like to experience God now that Jesus has died on the cross on our behalf. Three lessons then that Paul has to teach us about spirituality. And the first one's this. True spirituality is understanding God's hidden wisdom. True spirituality is understanding God's hidden wisdom. Uh, if you were here last week, then you'll know that there's a deep irony about the message of the cross. It's that the successful and the rich and the clever often miss it because they're looking in the wrong place. It's ironic. Strange, isn't it? And that's why the church is so often full of the unsuccessful and the struggling and the ignored. That is God's delicious irony as he looks out on his world. He's, he's not, in other words, he's not like the, the headmaster at speech day. I don't know if you had one of those at your school. Um, speech day, it's not always the brightest people who are called forwards. Sometimes it's the unsuccessful. Sometimes it's the less well-educated. Sometimes it's the struggling. God calls people into his church. But on the other hand, Paul says in, in chapter 2, verse 6, it's, it's not like Christians are just stupid or, or credulous either. Now, they do have a kind of wisdom. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 6. 
we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. In fact, Paul begins by talking about two different kinds of wisdom in verses 6 to the, to the first part of 10. The wisdom of this age, he says, by which he means contemporary culture, the wisdom of this age is public but temporary. That's, a, that's the wisdom that he's describing in chapter 2, verse 6. The wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. That's the wisdom of the TV, of the national curriculum of, of social media. And, and, and we need to remember that public opinion is an incredibly temporary thing. And people talk about the news cycle, don't they? Uh, it's astonishing how quickly public opinion changes, how, how quickly our attention goes from one thing to the next. And, 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 and one opinion uh, is, is forgotten and a completely different opinion becomes publicly acceptable. Such a useful thing to study history, isn't it? You realize these things. How quickly things go in and out of fashion. And, and as the rulers of this age come and go, so do their ideas. It's almost ridiculous. I mean, at its height, communism, and this wasn't, this wasn't so long ago, communism dominated half of the world population. Strange to think, isn't it? Uh, when the underground was first proposed, I read the other day, the Times, that august um, publication, said this, of, of the idea of an underground train uh, someone wrote, no one will ever wish to be driven amid palpable darkness through the foul subsoil of London. <laughs> That's all they thought of the idea of tube trains. Yeah, it, opinion changes so quickly, doesn't it? Human ideas are so transitory. And, and where does human wisdom take you? Well, to the most disastrous of decisions. So have a look down at verse 8. What did they do? They crucified the Lord of glory. Has there ever been a more astonishing decision than that? That's the first kind of wisdom, public but temporary. And then there is God's wisdom, which is secret but lasting. And this is a wisdom hidden in the Old Testament, um, spoken by the prophets in such a way that even the prophets sometimes didn't fully understand what God was saying through them. And it's only when you look back from beyond the cross that you realize that the prophets got it right over and over and over again about a king brought to power by execution. It's, it's, it's too strange an idea to predict. Now, we gain power by warfare and success and, and charisma and force of will. He gains power by execution. An extraordinary thing. And, and so, can you see this? That the Lord of glory is crucified verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory so that, verse 8, we could be destined for glory. Can you see that verse? Sorry, verse 7, we could be destined for glory. No, we declare God's wisdom a, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. That's not saying you would have predicted, but verse 10, God has shown these things to us by his Spirit, secret, eternal wisdom. So, so please don't give too much credence to the latest ideas. I, I mean, even in Christian circles, there are ideas that become 
fashionable, um, incarnational theology, models of church growth. Keep God's hidden wisdom at the center. Keep the cross of Jesus Christ central. Martin Luther said, the cross alone is our theology. Don't stray from the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ crucified for your glory. And then please don't go chasing after spiritual experience. Go to spiritual places if you want, the Tibetan mountains or Uluru, Uluru. Go to yoga if that's your thing. Visit a church where people are expressing lots of emotion. But be very careful because the deepest wisdom, the place of real spirituality is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's first point. But he goes on to say a lot more about true spirituality in the second half of verse 10 through to verse 13. And we could summarize it like this. True spirituality is receiving God's Holy Spirit. You see, you could finish verses 6 to 10a and still be asking the question, how can I be sure of these things, things about the cross and things about my future? And Paul replies in verse 10, because God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit given to every Christian from the moment that they put their trust in Jesus Christ. God reveals these things to us by the Spirit's work. The Spirit is, first of all, a researcher. Now, I need to be careful because I know that there's some researchers here um, in the building. Um, some research can be a bit pointless, can't it? I, just some, some research. Uh, there was a friend of Dawn's, actually, who, um, who was doing some health research, and uh, she interviewed people to find out some information. She was employed by a holiday company to find out why people took holidays. That's a fair thing. So she, she, she interviewed quite a lot of people uh, about why they were intending to take holidays and, and why they'd taken the holidays that they did. Uh, and she worked for several months. She was employed by this company and then presented her findings. And she discovered that people take holidays because they're tired and they wanted a change of scene. I mean, that's, I mean, that's research, isn't it, of, of a sort? Some research can be a bit pointless, but the spirit is a researcher with the most endlessly exciting and unending project. Have a look at the second half of verse 10. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No one knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit. That's true, isn't it? I don't know what you're thinking, and you don't know what I'm thinking. I can think of a member of my family. Anyone know which member of my family I'm thinking of? Uh, my uncle Peter, as it happens, was, was the one that I was thinking of. But um, the thing is, you can't find out. You can't do experiments on me. Uh, you, um, and there's no sort of empirical way of of measuring who it is that I'm thinking about, no rational reflection that will reveal that to you. In the same way that my spirit knows my thoughts, so the spirit researches the thoughts of the mind of God. John Stott, one Christian writer, puts it like this, it is God exploring the infinity of God. What a thought. 
But then research findings are a very limited value unless you publish them. That's the thing. And that's why the Spirit is not only a researcher, but a revealer. It's all down there in verse 12. Have a look at that. It's the Spirit's work. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And the, the apostles were given salvation in just the same way that we were. They, like us, have come to understand this free gift that God is offering us. Moral debts completely paid, moral mistakes completely forgiven through the shockingly awful death of Jesus Christ in our place. The Spirit is the revealer, and the Spirit has revealed the gospel to Paul himself. But it goes even further than that because the Spirit is also the writer not just the researcher, the revealer, but also the writer. And that's in verse 13. This is what we speak, says Paul, as he writes 1 Corinthians. You see, he's, he's, he's writing down the Bible. This is what we speak. The Spirit enables the apostles to put these great truths into words, and it's written down in the Bible. But then there's a final stage in verse 13. The Spirit is the interpreter. That's the end of verse 13. It talks about expressing spiritual realities in spirit-taught words. Well, that might be something more like the footnote. If you see that down, down at the bottom of the page in small italic writing, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's to say that as we come to Jesus, as we become Christians, so the Spirit interprets what's written on the pages of the Bible to us. That's his work. Is that the spirit is sort of like a like a midwife that's sort of overseeing every word of God, right from the time that it's born in God's mind to to, to the time that we read it ourselves in our quiet times or or on a Sunday afternoon. That's amazing, isn't it? But it means that the only way of knowing God is is to allow God to explain Himself. That's important, isn't it? No one can know God by, by themselves. We're far too self-centered. We have to allow God to speak. What is needed is for God to show us what he's like. And by the Spirit, he's written it all in his word, and he's interpreted it into our lives. Praise God for that. Do you really want to know deep things about God? Or do you want to be spiritual, in other words? Learn God from the Bible. Learn deep things. Read about his thoughts. You know, people talk about um, spirit-filled churches which are full of spiritual people and Bible-teaching churches which are full of clever people. That can't be a, a right distinction. The Spirit's work is to show us God's thinking in the written words of, of, of the apostles. True spirituality is listening to God's words as the Spirit pushes them down deep into our experience. Don't try and take some sort of shortcut to spiritual experience. It's, so, it's tempting. But it's when we understand the message of the cross, when we pray for the Spirit's help, and then we consider what God has done for us, that the real spiritual experience comes.
that's Paul's second point, but he makes a third one too. It's, it's perhaps the most extreme, and it comes in verses 14 to 16. Thirdly, true spirituality means having the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. It's a while since we've read those words out, so um, let me read again. Verses 14 to 16 in the Bible's right-hand column, page 1145. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. As before, there are two routes to spirituality, but only one that works. So in in, in the first section, there was the wisdom of this age and God's hidden wisdom. In the second section, it was about the spirit of this world and the spirit of God. But here it's about the natural person and the spiritual person. And and the difference, verse 15, is to do with with the judgments we make. You see that? The decisions we reach. Uh, people without the Spirit will, after consideration, find the message of the cross empty. And they'll find it foolish, verse 14. It's like the person who, who discovers at work that they're going to be in a team with you for the next six months. And you, and you know that look of panic that comes across their face. I'm in a team with a religious nutter. And, and, and they will have no idea why an, an otherwise entirely normal person should believe in religious nonsense. They won't understand that. But for people with the Spirit, they'll discover that they can see. Um, when I first came to London, uh, I, I, I hadn't realized that, um, that I needed glasses. And things were getting a, li- a little bit more blurry, and, and I was having a bit of trouble, just squinting slightly. Um, and then one day I realized, uh, as I was trying to read the newspaper and, and failing, uh, that I had to wear glasses. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I don't know, you know, I can see a few people wearing glasses. When you put on glasses for the first time, it, isn't it incredible? Um, suddenly you discover that trees have leaves, uh, that you look at a lawn, it's got individual blades of grass, that there are other cars on the road. I mean, no, that's, that's a joke. Sorry, that's, that's not true. Um, but you wonder how you ever managed before, don't you? you? You realize how little you could see. And in the same way, once you're a Christian and, and, and the Spirit interprets the world to you, you can now make judgments about all things. That's to say you've tried being a non-Christian and you've tried being a Christian and you can see that being a Christian makes more sense of the whole world. Um, some things are valuable about the world. Some things are viable about the world. Some, some, you, you can understand how a world could have become sinful, how, how a world is in need of salvation. You can understand the world, everything better. You can see it from God's vantage point. And that's something that continually convinces me that God's wisdom about the cross is true. Things make sense. In other words, you have the mind of Christ. 
I wonder then whether you want to be spiritual. Do you want to be spiritual? If so, there are two different worlds that you can invest in, and, and you will have to choose between the short-lived opinions of our day or the hidden but eternal wisdom of God, between the spirit of this world or the, or the revealed mind of God, between calling the cross foolish and seeing in the cross a real explanation of what's most true. If, if you're not yet a Christian, please don't let it rest until you've found out more about the cross of Jesus Christ. There can be no bigger question for you at the moment than to discover the explanatory power of this hidden wisdom. Uh, if you are a Christian, whatever you're facing this week, whether you're being told that you're narrow and ignorant, whether you feel misunderstood by your non-Christian colleagues, when you, when you long for your family to understand the cross, but they just don't seem to understand you will take heart, won't you? Take heart. There's an enormous privilege in having God's spirit. You have all you need in the cross. You don't need shortcuts to Christian experience, just a deep and real knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified because you're part of a cross-shaped church. And by God's grace, you know his secret wisdom. You've come to understand what God has freely given you. You can understand the world from, from Christ's perspective. Once you grasp that, then wow. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. We're going to have a couple of minutes to pause and think about that, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. This is what we speak, says Paul, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth that your Spirit has revealed to us, the way he's opened our eyes, enabled us to see the world, it revealed to us the mind of God, it caused the apostles to, to, to write your word, and then illuminating the pages of Scripture so that we can understand it for ourselves. And so I pray, Father, that we would have genuine gospel spirituality, spirituality that puts the cross right at the center, uh, that doesn't gain all of its understanding from the wisdom of the world, but, but looks to the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that your hidden mystery was destined for our glory before time began. Thank you that even though the Lord of glory was crucified, it was ultimately for our benefit. And so I pray, Father, that we would trust in the cross of Jesus Christ and we'd enjoy all the spirituality that comes from understanding that better. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.